Lord, we also praise you. Uh, we don't always acknowledge the ones that support the ones that are up front. Sandy and the family that uh, supported George and maintained his life such that he could, in fact, teach the word. So we, we praise you that she's here. The many years that she devoted to serving behind the scenes. So we praise that. Praise you and others that do the same. Others in this room that silently continue to minister. Prayer warriors and those that minister in unseen ways. And never get acknowledged in this world. But we know that you notice all things. And we praise you that you're the one that not only motivates, but empowers and works through your people. This morning we desire that you work through your word, that we might clearly see what you have for us. As Mary Lee has prayed, that we would see something fresh and new, and that it would move us towards transformation. So we commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning in the book of Romans, we want to take a look at some basic things, but I think in a lot of ways they're neglected in the church In fact, I haven't heard very many teachings or sermons or messages from Romans chapter 7, so we've been kind of delving into it. Not that it's new, but something that uh, we need to not only think about, but realize some of the things that we have in that chapter. Hopefully today we can even conclude it. A little ambitious, verses 21 through 25. Although we've laid a lot of groundwork, ambitious because we've been uh, averaging 1.85 verses per Sunday. (laughs) This is our, that's right. Yeah, we count. You got the email, this is the number what? 100th session. So it's real easy to calculate. (laughs) So anyway, we're looking at the kind of the end product of living in the flesh and what that's all about, Romans chapter 7. And I just keep reminding you that Paul writes to real people that lived in real places. And in our trip to Rome and Israel, we saw things such as this. Now this came later than the time of Paul, but everything else, like the temple of Faustina and Antonius, were there in that time frame. So the people of Rome would have seen sites like this. Later construction, that church in the background was later built several centuries later. Obviously, Colosseum, the most prominent feature of the city of Rome for 2,000 years now, and was almost completed in terms of construction when Paul was there. Paul was there in prison, and before that, he, on his third missionary journey, desired to visit, but God delayed him so that he could write this letter to us, because it's inspired, and it is written to the Romans in the first century, but because of inspiration, it is just as if he wrote it to you and I. So we looked at justification, spent lots of time talking about that concept. These are Paul's words, justification, sanctification, only reason we use them. So we've defined them and explained them. 
I've also stressed, this is written to believers. So when Paul talks about man's lostness and the need for a savior or a need for God to do something, he's writing so that believers can understand how to better communicate, be able to have proper understanding of these concepts so that we can minister to the unbeliever. So the first part of Romans is not written to the unbeliever, so he uses theological terms and theological concepts. Once a person is justified, then salvation continues in that we need to be saved from the power of sin. Justification, we are saved from the penalty of sin. So sanctification is God pouring his life into our life such that we can receive his righteousness. We see three parts in this portion. The emphasis on the principles for sanctification. In other words, what are the basics? And I've emphasized through chapter 6, knowing certain truths. And as was prayed, we get wrapped up in the world and our thinking gets distorted and we lose track of who we are in Christ. And that's the basic idea there. And what Christ has done in joining us to himself, such that now we can have newness of life. Different way of living. But because we still have a sinful nature, we fall back in the issues that stand in the way of sanctification. So the emphasis of chapter 7 are the problems. Mm-hmm. Now there are principles that we'll, we've developed there as well, but the emphasis are dealing with these problems And we're on the verge of getting into chapter 8, where he will discuss power that's available after we've seen that everything that we've tried on our own efforts, we tried the law, tried obedience, tried checking off boxes, we've just tried willpower, none of that works. We need something outside of ourselves, and there is a provision that God has made, and that is explained in chapter 8. Quick review, I don't want to spend a lot of time. We've looked at each of these in some detail. Chapter 7 continues with the principles we saw in chapter 6. Very important concept, church-age believers are not under law. In other words, we're not under law, so he's going to begin to develop that idea. We are under a different dispensation, a different era, where God is dealing differently. Old Testament saints didn't have an indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So we're not under law, but lest we be confused, he doesn't want us to rip the Old Testament out of our Bibles or the Old Covenant out of the Bible because it still has value, but it's not the code that we are under. So the law was never intended to and cannot sanctify through the law. The law itself is good. In fact, that's the emphasis of the first part of chapter 7. Even spiritual, it's from God. Lots of little notes that he puts in there. So it still has value today, but not for sanctification. In fact, in many ways, the law didn't sanctify Israel even in the Old Testament. So the law is useful for primarily exposing sin. So we have a clear idea of what is right and what is wrong. And we've been seeing in chapter 7, sanctification involves an internal warfare. In fact, that imagery is going to be developed further in the little passage that we're looking at. 
14th principle, sanctification doesn't reform the sin nature. So if you're trying to just get better, your flesh, your old nature does not improve. In fact, it has all of the same potential as before we trusted in Christ. Does not get any better. The emphasis of chapter 6 is that it is to die, not improve, not to reform. So sanctification doesn't reform the sin nature. And then we saw the last couple of weeks, willpower cannot sanctify. It's not just a matter of just putting more effort or more concentration or more this or more Bible study or more commitment. Willpower does not sanctify. All of these are internal. All of these are within us. And if we're trying in all of these areas, then we end up in a passage that we're going to look at in verse 24, wretched man that I am. So I think he's describing the Christian life in chapter 7 because of the context, even though a lot of commentators have a hard time seeing Paul describing himself using the phrases that we'll look at. But anyway, we'll take a look at this small little passage where we get to the passage in a moment. So 13 through 25, the sin nature cannot sanctify. He lays out the case transitioning from the law, since the law cannot sanctify, verses 1 through 12, because there's a captivity, and I'm using C's as my alliteration here. There's a captivity of the sin nature that is still there, and we are susceptible to be in captivity to it, and that's what's described in the rest of the verses, 14 through 17, in fact, through the end, actually, because... The sin nature is corrupt, the corruption of the sin nature, 18 through 20. We completed looking at that last time. So it does not sanctify because of that corrupt nature. It needs to die. And we're looking at the last little portion here, 21 through 25. The end of it, or the consequence of living in the flesh and not living according to the Spirit. So that's kind of where we're at. And we've been emphasizing this passage continues. We've been beginning in verse 14, the emphasis in I, me, myself, over and over again. And in order to kind of follow, I've kind of color-coded. The blue kind of is the I that has been regenerated or the I of the new nature. The pinkish, light pink there is the actions or the tendency of what we might describe as the old nature. So I, in other words, regenerated, recreated, I find then a principle that evil is present in me. In other words, he's not disassociating himself. He still identifies himself, but now there's evil in there. The one, in other words, back to the I, the one who wants to do good. In other words, I want to please God. I want to obey him. I want to do what's right. I want to do good, but in verse 22, for I, when I look into the word, I I agree with it. I concur. I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. That one blue as well. There's an inner, in other words, a deep inside of me man. In fact, an inner woman as well. In fact, that reminds me, I had a, I don't remember all the circumstances, but if you know me, I'm pretty kind of steady here and there. So I don't get too riled up. I don't get too emotional. And I don't know, something came up and the friend said, wow, 
I remember seeing emotions come out of you, and I said, oh, that's just my inner woman. <laughs> Verse 23. What? <laughs> Verse 23. But I, again, I that is recreated with a new nature, I see a different law. In other words, I can observe these things. I, I have biblical insight into who I am. I see a different law in, in the members of my body, that sinful old nature part, waging war against the law of my mind. In other words, my mind wants to be focused and wants to be renewed, that new aspect of me, and making me, that old aspect, a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my sinful old nature. I hope that helped you kind of put it together. We'll look at it in some detail. But I just wanted to emphasize, this is what the stress is. I, I, I showed you that one slide. I won't show you again. I can't remember the number. I or me or my occurs, what? I don't remember, 20 sometimes or so in 14 through the end of the chapter. But back to verse 21, I find then the principle. Interesting. We've seen the word namas continuously in the book of Romans. Here it is again. But in this case, namas is translated probably appropriately principle. In fact, let me remind you, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but the word namas, we've been seeing it used in a a variety of ways throughout the book of Romans. Some contexts slightly different, some of them very closely related. For example, the Pentateuch, I think 321 is an example where the Pentateuch is referred to. In chapter 2, verse 20, and also in 23, and by the way, there's others, but these are kind of representative, I think it's specifically referring to the Mosaic Covenant, particularly those little phrases when it says we are not under law, I think it's referring to the Mosaic Covenant, covenant that the nation of Israel was under. Other passages speak of the Old Testament generally, and I put 19 through 21 because it follows He uses the word law there like three times, and it follows immediately after several quotations. And he's referring back to the law there, and those quotations come primarily out of the Psalms. So they're not out of the Pentateuch. They're not out of the Mosaic Code. They're out of the Old Testament. So it seems what he's talking about there, he's using the word namas in this general broad sense of the Old Testament itself. Sometimes very specific, we saw in chapter 7, 7 through 9, referring to the 10th commandment. He calls that the law in that context. Namas. Mosaic dispensation, the period, the time frame. Not under the Mosaic code that ruled that entire dispensation, 6, 14, and 15. Even 7, 1, referring to an example of marriage and civil law. He uses namas in that context. We've already seen moral law, 214, and we've even seen number eight, the idea of a principle in 3, 27, and 28. And I think in this context, verse 21, he's using it in this other sense as well. Not talking about the Mosaic Covenant, not talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about this kind of universal idea, this this law in fact, we're, we speak of the laws of nature, gravity, for example. Uh, nobody legislated that and passed that in a 
legislative body. In other words, we decided that from here on out, we're going to have a law of gravity. This is more uh, cosmic. This is more universal. This is broader in terms of God setting up things in the universe such that things are the way they are, and they are that way by law. So these are the various ways that you can find law used just in the book of Romans. And there might be even a couple more, but at least these. So principle here is kind of that broad, the way that God has set up the moral universe. So when he says in verse 21, I see a law, it's like the law of gravity. It has effect. It has operation in my life. So the word namas in this context, I'm going to use the same background slide. In verse 21, it's a principle of evil in my members. There's something that operates in my members, because that's the phrase he uses, such that I can't, in myself, I can't go against it. I can't break it. That's just the way it is. I need, we're going to see in chapter 8, I need a power to overcome it. And as long as we are in these sinful bodies, there is that tendency, that law in operation. So I see it as a kind of what you might define it as sin working in the sinful nature. It operates like a law. It operates like something that just acts in terms of whatever, in every circumstance in certain ways. So that's how it's used in 21. Now I'm going to go through here because we're going to see that word law used five times in this little part of the book of Romans that we've been looking at, or we'll be looking at. So it begins in verse 21. I find then the namas principle, and he lays it out, that evil is present in me. And if it's describing a believer, he's talking about evil residing in that what remains of uh, the old man. He's used that phrase before. The old person before we became believers and recreated. Evil is present in me, so there's a principle of sin operating inside of me. Then uh, we've been using the analogy here. The sin nature, you know, we're used to living in it. Like our security blanket, this living in the spirit is foreign to us. So we cling to it. We go back to it. And I gave you another cartoon before, but uh, in reality, if you just substitute sin nature instead of the security blanket, uh, Lucy says, you and that stupid sin nature. And that's the way it is. Okay. I've been using this slide to kind of walk our way through the, the different little phrases, the little descriptive words that Paul uses to describe this sinful nature. And for those of you that haven't been with us, I use the imagery there. Somewhere inside that mud-caked figure is a little boy. (laughs) But the old nature, usually that's what people see. But deep inside, there's an inner man and, in some cases, an inner woman, right? And he's already using 6-6, the word or the phrase, old man, two words in the Greek text. And in that same passage, body of sin. And I think all of those are descriptive phrases that describe the sinful nature. 7.14, it is fleshly, related to sarks, sarkanas. Then he uses in 18, we'll see it number five there, flesh itself. 
which is used frequently in several passages. He describes it as indwelling sin, 7, 17, and 18, and also in verse 20, we saw it there. He says that in the flesh, there's nothing good. That's why we came up with the idea of don't try to reform it, let it die. There's nothing good, 7, 18. He describes it as our flesh, and when he, in this context, remember the word flesh is used in different ways. In fact, uh, it's used of Jesus Christ. Jesus had flesh, but it was not sinful flesh. So in and of itself, flesh is not evil or bad, but once it is tainted by sin of Adam, then it becomes sinful. And in this context, it's a word that he uses to describe the old nature. He's going to describe, he described it in verse 5. He'll describe it again in verse 25 using the same word. And we just saw in verse 21, evil is present in the old nature. And as you can see, there's plenty of space left, so there's going to be several more on there in this passage, other descriptive phrases. So verse 21, I find then the principle, or namas, that evil is present in me. The one who wants, we've been stressing the idea of volition and desire, the one who wants to do good. And I've contrasted performance and desire, performance and willpower. And throughout this passage, we find out there's not enough willpower. This slide just reminds you of all of the words. In verse 15, he uses three different words for doing or performing or producing something. And we've looked at those. And then he uses thello several times and it's translated in slightly different ways. I'd like something or want something or will something. We have it again in verse 21. I've got it highlighted in, in, in red there. Poel is the performance word in 21 in that case. So these words kind of go throughout that passage over and over and over to bring us to the conclusion, basically, of what he says in verse 21. I want to do good, but I can't. So we stressed that last week. Willpower is not enough. Also in verse 21 is another little phrase that describes the new nature. And we've already seen several of them, several little notes. You've seen, even in verse 25, it's described as regenerated life, 521, resurrection life, 6-6. Desiring to do good several times, and now we see it again in verse 21. So 715 and 16, 18 and 19, and now 21. Hating sin. Inside of me, that new creation, that new nature, hates the end product of the old nature. We hate sin because we see the destructive of, of it, 715, 719. We agree with the law. That's the new nature. We know the law is right. The old nature tries to suppress it. We agree with the law, 16, 716, and we'll see it in the next verse, 22. And we have an accurate assessment of who we are, and we see little notes throughout 18, and now in verse 21, an accurate assessment of who we are is a realization that sin dwells in that old nature. Evil dwells there. We're going to see it again in 23, we're going to see it again in 25, and then verse 22, I just looked at it on that other slide, for I joyfully concur. In other words, and by the way, this word occurs only in this context. Uh, joyfully concur is just one word in the Greek text. I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner woman 
or man, however you want to phrase it. The inner man is another little <coughs> phrase, I'll highlight it in a moment, that describes, I think, deep down inside, God has created a new person, a new being, the inner man. And I concur, and, and that inner man concurs with what God says in his law and elsewhere in his word. And joyfully, right? That's, yes, that's the idea there. Just yeah. Right, joyfully, yeah. In other words, it's, you know, this is right, this is... This is good. This is encouraging. So the law of God in the inner man. And again, this is just this slide just to remind you, we saw namas. And I want you to see that it occurs five times, I believe. Yeah, five times. Only one of them is translated principle. I'm not sure why, because some of the others could be as well. We looked at 21, and now in 22, we have the law, and we have a little description of it, law of God. So it's different. And I think this one properly should be translated law, namas. But the other three, but I see a different law, still namas, but I think it's the idea of principle. And then again here, waging war against the law of my mind. There's a kind of a natural law going on. Maybe it's not natural, it's supernatural law in my mind. And making me a prisoner of the law of sin. I think that law of sin is the same one that we have in verse 21. You see that? I think all of them, except in verse 22, could be translated principle as well, because I think that's the idea there. Make sense? Uh, I just wanted you to see that it occurs several times here. Mary Lee. So if in the Greek they're using the same word, Thomas, do different translations... Sometimes. ...go through and, and use it differently and... and yes. Different words, yeah. Because then I'd be at where? Where does it? Where does verse one? Yeah, verse that's twenty one. What about twenty three? How does it? It's all law. It's all law. Yeah, yeah. But as we've said several times, when you do a word study on any word, here's an example of one word in the same context. There's a closer context that gives you clues, but in the same context, same word can be used in different ways. In fact, that other slide that gave you eight different ways that namas is used just in the book of Romans, and some of them in the same verse. Here we have namas five times in a couple, three verses here, and he's referring to different laws here or different references to the word law. So we have the law of God in verse 22, probably either the Mosaic law or perhaps the Mosaic covenant, the law of God, because he's contrasting here. I concur with that, and then in the next verse, he's going to see a different law operating. Heteros is the word there, a different law. But back to our new nature slide, we have another little phrase that describes the new nature, the inner man in this context. And I think also we can add to number five, here's another verse that says that that inner man agrees, concurs, even, as Jeremy points out, joyfully, or you might even say fully agree with God's law. So I think he's describing the new nature, and it's only in the new nature that we can do that, because in the old nature, we sense condemnation as a sin. Verse 23, but I see a different law. 
a law of another kind, heteros there. I see a different law in the members of my body, different from the one in verse 22 that we just looked at, different from the law of God. It's different. In fact, it's negative. It's different law in the members of my, and I kind of highlighted that, in my sinful aspect or sinful nature. So I see a different law. So we have a third usage, different law in my members. That one, in verse 23, probably is the same as this principle of evil in my members in verse 21. You see that? Or the idea of sin working in the sinful nature, this different law. It's different from verse 22, but I think it's the same as verse 21. That make sense? See that? But I see a different law in the members of my body, and here we have warfare. We have a battle going on, an internal battle. And in fact, this is a battle that goes on throughout the Christian life, so we should not be surprised by it. We should be encouraged that there are solutions and there's ways out of the battle, but every day we need to face the fact that there is an enemy and the enemy is within. We might even say the enemy is me. And it's waging war against the law of my mind. Waging war, that's warfare. So the law of my mind, we have another reference, verse 23 now, the law of my mind. God's word working in the new nature, the renewing of the mind where God's word has changed my thinking in every area, every aspect of life. I know truth now. My mind is renewed. So the law of my mind, I think, is a different usage there. It's like a principle that operates when the word of God is operating within my mind. So it counteracts these other negative laws. The law of the mind. So the word is used at least four ways, two of them the same probably. And then that fifth one I think is going to be the same as one and three there. Does that make sense? Now he refers to the law of the mind. I think this is the regenerated mind. That's an aspect of the new nature. A renewed mind, a regenerated Mm -hmm. mind that has been affected by the law of God. So verse 23, he's going to use the regenerated mind again in verse 25. So there are two aspects, two natures that are waging war. This is why I see this describing a believer rather than Paul trying to describe what it was like before he came to know Christ, even though that's a very popular view. Verse goes on, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, my mind, my color-coded blue, new nature mind, making me a prisoner of the law, there it is again, the law of sin, and I think that one is used like in verse 21, and uh, at the beginning of verse 23, a different law, the law of sin, which is in my old nature. My members. Make sense? So, there's an internal warfare going on. Internal battle. It's bloody. It's ugly. It's destructive. It goes all the way back to verse verse 14 of chapter 7, where we're a prisoner of war, basically. When we allow the old nature to dominate, it takes us captive. We're sold as a captive. We're a prisoner of war in this internal warfare. There's a warfare going on, verse 23. It's a battle. 
It's real. It's internal. Also in verse 23, it holds me captive, a prisoner. I'm captive to the old nature when I allow it to dominate. Now, we're not going to, I think we need to understand these concepts because when we come to chapter 8, we're going to be able to appreciate the power available to overcome the battle and the war. So the last part of verse 23 made me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. He doesn't, what was it, verse 17, where it almost, he almost disassociates himself. And you might think, well, he's not taking responsibility, but he continually takes responsibility because he says, which is in my members. In other words, it's still me. I'm still responsible for the right response, which is in my members. And we might add here a prisoner of the law of sin, 723. That's when sinful nature dominates. We allow it to overshadow the new nature. So we're going to add to the lists here. That leaves us in verse 24, and on your outline sheet, the way I've outlined it here, we have the consequences of the sin nature. Verse 21 is this condition of being under this principle in the old nature. And then we have concurrence in verse 22 and 23, concurrence and conflict, using C's there, concurrence with the law, and then this conflict or this war that goes on. On verse 24, we're going to have a confession and a cry. The confession, wretched man that I am. An interesting word. It's only used in another context where Jesus describes the church at Laodicea. Church at Laodicea. Where they think, oh, we're fine. We're okay. We're prosperous. Everything's going well. Jesus describes them as naked, poor, wretched. And I don't remember how other descriptive names as well. In other words, internally, you're wretched. And this is where we end up when the old nature dominates us. It frustrates us. And in fact, it's not a bad thing because it should move us to cry out for a solution. And that's what we have in the latter part. So we have an internal war. The first part of the chapter, this is kind of a summary summary uh, slide here. If we're trying to use the law, in other words, okay, I'm going to try, you know, there's these ten things I'm going to try to obey. I'm going to check the boxes off. Obey number one, number two, number three. Okay, I'm obeying, I'm doing, I'm doing all of this obedience. I'm trying to sanctify myself by doing things, by obeying the law. It's going to either end, when we were there, we talked about either pride, because, oh, I checked off all ten boxes. How many do you have? But then we, somebody comes along and says, well, what about uh, the other 316 bucks? Oh, ends in frustration. Pride and frustration. Self-effort, constant failure. I can't do the things that I want to do. So self-effort does not sanctify. And last week we emphasized willpower. You don't have enough. You can't turn the dial high enough to will right living. So you got to look outside yourself, and that's what this verse does. And you got to come to the point of wretchedness. I can't change the old nature. Stop trying to get better. Try, stop trying to reform it. There's a different biblical alternative. And it begins in chapter 8. 
that's supposed to pick, picture wretchedness without the comfort of the uh, security blanket. So wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Notice he doesn't say what. In other words, what five steps? Or what commandment? Or what secret plan? Or what way? Or what whatever? But what does he say? It's centered in a person, in a relationship. Who will set me free And when he says this body of this death, I've heard from a couple of different sources. At first, I didn't believe it. I don't even know if it's true anyway, but maybe one source got it from the other source. (laughs) But they told of a tradition in some tribe, I don't know, maybe you've heard of it, maybe an African tribe, I don't know, where they sentence a murderer, and part of the sentence of the murderer is to carry on their back the dead body of the person, the victim that they killed until the rotting flesh of the dead body begins to rot the flesh of the perpetrator. <laughs> That's the image. Words, who will set me free from this body that is causing my body to degenerate and die in that broad sense? I need deliverance. Now, he's not crying out for salvation. I think he's talking here in terms of this frustrated, wretched Christian life that is not really a Christian life, but just a uh, counterfeit of it. And then he gives us, in the next verse, the solution. So verse 24, in this internal warfare, we're a prisoner of war. We're a slave prisoner. There's a war going on, prisoner of war, cry for rescue. And by the way... That word that is used in verse 24 is used in other context of crying out to be rescued from any kind of danger. Some of them are spiritual. Some of them are physical dangers. So it's a cry for rescue. So verse 24, we have two more. Wretched man. That's the old nature. It is wretched. And it brings frustration. And it refers also to this body of death. In other words, something that is decaying and in the process of degenerating. Lots of descriptive phrases of the sin nature. So now that brings us to another principle in chapter 7, the last one. We can conclude that the law cannot sanctify. It ends in wretchedness. Self-effort, you could even include willpower, ends in wretchedness. There's a solution, verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The solution from start to to finish, Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, he died not only to pay the penalty for our sin and to guarantee that we have eternal life forever and ever and all of eternity is settled, but when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died on our behalf, in terms of the old nature as well. In fact, go back to chapter 6. We died with him. And what else? We were raised with him so that we might live in newness of life. So Jesus Christ is the solution again. And I've highlighted here, I myself, new nature aspect, my mind, new nature. Then the last part, the my there, flesh of the law of sin. But anyway... Focus on the first part there, the solution. So Christ is always the solution. Chapter 8 is going to expand upon that. 
We're going to see how he works. He's going to work through the Holy Spirit to empower us to live differently. And another aspect of the new nature, it is thankful. And that's what we have in the first part of verse 25, a thankful heart. That's from the Spirit working in our heart. So then, and now he's going to just summarize pretty much the the first part of chapter 7 all the way to verse 25. So then, kind of his concluding thought here. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. See the two aspects here. That's the first aspect. On the one hand, I myself, the new nature, the inward man, the inner man, with my mind, in other words, a lot of it is in my mind, in my thinking, in that renewed thinking. I know what is right, and I know the good thing that God has. I know the plan. I know what he wants for me, and I'm, I'm serving the law of God. I, I'm trying to be obedient to the law. In other words, I didn't rip it out of my Bible. I'm not under it, but it still has value. Remember, we spent two weeks on the value of the law. So I'm serving the law of God, going back to that same law that we saw in the prior verses. So there's slavery. That's the last part there, serving. But on the other, with my flesh, I'm serving. That's the slavery part. I think I have those slides out of order. On the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. There's law again. And I think it's the same one as verse 21. It's the same as the different one in verse, what was it, 23. And then we also saw it. At the end of 23, and then now the law of sin. Namas. Same word. So, this is kind of the alternative. Internal battle that goes on and on. Last slide here. A couple of passages outside of Romans. Kind of parallel passages described as a spiritual nature. 1 Corinthians 2. It's used a couple of times. Verse 15. And then describing it. And then 3, 1. Same passage also refers to the same sinful nature using natural man. So there's a whole list of descriptive phrases that refer to the sin nature and also the new nature. It's a war. It's a battle. But we can conclude. Thanks be to God, there is power available to live the Christian life. And now you are fully prepared for chapter 8. To appreciate it. It's been a long time, right? (laughs) You've been wretched for months and months now. (laughs) Next week, we'll see the glory, hopefully. Any comments before we close? Go back to which one? The slide is the new nature. um, 1 Corinthians 2, 15 through 3. I think there's another verse in there. Mm -hmm. Latest version. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and think, oh, I forgot Get up. <laughs> we'll put it back in. Yeah, we're good. Who wants to close for us? Thanks, Dwayne.